it's Mark 14 and verse uh, 22. The Bible might say, as mine does, institution of the Lord's Supper as a heading. And I, I thought I would mention where I'm from, which is sort of around here, supper means something very different. Supper is a piece of toast and a cup of cocoa, like 10 o'clock at night. That's supper. But these strange people in other places outside Liverpool, supper is actually the even a meal. So when you hear the marriage supper of the Lamb, we don't think of something in the night, we just think of the main meal. Okay? And when we talk about uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, we just to understand that word supper as a meal. I think in Scotland they call it uh, supper, don't they? Fish supper is what you have at tea time. I'm glad we've sorted that out. Let's get on to this reading from verse 22. It says, And as they were eating at the Passover feast, he took bread, that's Jesus, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Lord's table then. Okay, so in the reading where we've got Jesus at this meal and he's just a few hours away, just a few hours away from his arrest, his illegal trial, and that horrific but glorious death. So the meal's not over. This Passover meal, it's pretty traditional format, I expect. There was some ritual involved which Jesus no doubt will have followed. But then Jesus introduces this new element to the, to the, uh, to the meal. Which is what we just read about. This new element. And it was a sign that the Passover, this celebration of Passover would begin to fade away. Now remember the Passover meal is a remembrance itself. A remembrance of how the Lord's people were delivered from Egypt out of bondage. That's what the Passover was about. And you'll remember that the angel of death went throughout Egypt and he intended to kill all the firstborn children in every house as punishment to that nation. And yet, there was a provision by God that should this uh, blood as directed by God, be painted on the doorpost of the house. That house would be exempt. That house would be under the blood, as it were. And so the angel of death would pass by. And it's called a Passover. He passed over those houses. And you can see perhaps what that blood represents on the doorpost. Well, the Passover meal was to celebrate that. But of course, it was all about Jesus Christ. It was always about him from the beginning. It was always about Jesus Christ. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, he left the believers, the disciples and us, with this command to, to remember him in this way. And so we're to share bread and wine uh, to remember his death. 
Now you will have heard this described in different churches by different things. So uh, there's the one I most often use, breaking of bread. In the Bible, this is sometimes called breaking of bread, even though even though there's wine involved. There is also we've mentioned the Lord's table, the Lord's table signifying that this is a um, a communal meal involving God. Some churches call it holy communion. Um, have I got that right, by the way? Please correct me, because I'm not from those. But uh, it's it's uh, we, we sometimes call it communion wine, don't we? So there's that, and there's also some churches call it uh, Eucharist, which which is a way of meaning Thanksgiving. They tend to be more like Church of England, Roman Catholic things. Uh, I, I should point out that if you're thinking that the Mass is, is equivalent, uh, I don't include that in the list because the Roman Catholic Mass is so significantly different from what we do that we, we, we don't we don't class it the same. So. I want to look, there's, there's a few different aspects to this to this meal when we partake of it. There's different aspects, and I just want to go through a few of them with you. So the point today is, we just go back to the scriptures, we remind ourselves what this is about, and then we make sure we're all on the same page, and when we partake of it later, then we, we, we have a, a, a clearer idea of what, what exactly we are doing. So the, 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 the first element to this is, uh, maybe the hardest to, 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 to grasp, but it's to do with covenant. Now I say it's hard to grasp because we don't use the word covenant these days very much. Covenant, I mean, if you're selling a building, you might come across the term the covenant of the church or whatever. But the covenant just means a sort of agreement, like a contract, if you like. And so under the old uh, system, if you like, in the Bible, uh, we get we get a, a covenant memorial, and I'll explain what that what I mean in a minute. I'm going to uh, Exodus and uh, Exodus 31. Uh, Exodus 31 and verse uh, 13. Exodus 31:13 says. Uh, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, because this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you might know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So this was a sign. And that, that sign of Sabbath keeping is no more. And it, we, 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 won't go into, we won't go into different views on the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath as a sign for the Lord's people is no more. So it's no longer about remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. But the motto for the Christian is remember Calvary. Remember Calvary. Now in referring to, as Jesus did, in referring to this wine as the, he said, the, the blood of the covenant, the disciples would remember what this refers to. They'll be thinking back through their, their scriptures and they would perhaps remember how this covenant was confirmed. Moses came with the law of God and he read it to the people and he took some ox's blood and he sprinkled it and he, well it says he threw it, he threw it onto the people. He just started throwing his blood onto people and I thought, I'm not going to do that this morning because, you know, there'll be trouble. 
But that's what it, that's what it would have reminded the disciples of, I, I'm absolutely sure. So what is it we are, are doing today? Well, today it's not about the external application of blood. There's no blood getting thrown, there's no blood getting caught, there's no blood involved, no literal animal blood anyway. It's not about external application like that. Uh, and that animal blood in the Old Testament had no power. The scripture said it had no power to take away sin anyway. That's what it tells us. But the picture here with this new covenant wine is this is something that goes in us. This is something we take in. It goes right to the very core of our beings. And yes, it still represents the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood of Jesus does have the power to cancel uh, sin. <coughs> And so, if you like, this uh, represents all the benefits of Calvary, of Jesus being carried into our very soul, uh, whether it be the wine or the bread. And this is how we understand verses uh, like this one in John uh, 6, in John 6 and verse uh, 54. John 6 and 54 says, Whosoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Friends, as, as special as this old covenant was, what we do here is far superior, far superior. When we break bread together, we acknowledge Christ's new covenant this new arrangement. I want to talk about that. That was about covenant, okay? But I want to talk about the content, by which I mean the content of this stuff here. Okay, so what is this stuff now, and what will it become in a minute? Well, it's bread from. Where's the bread from? Little bread. Not, not posh here. Some um, cheap, non-alcoholic wine from Sainsbury's. A bit, bit better than Sainsbury's. Non-alcoholic. Some people, some people don't want to take any alcohol at all. That's why it's there. I don't mind. I, I would use alcoholic wine. So that's what it is. And um, the question is, does, does it? Uh, what is it now? Does it change? And there've been uh, many different uh, views throughout church history and they've, uh, they've come up with well at one extreme you've got the view that there's a literal change of these things into something else that is uh, some believe that that bread becomes the literal body flesh muscles, sinews of Jesus Christ and that wine becomes his actual blood that's one view and we can say that at the other extreme of opinion, you have the uh, what we might call the Zwinglian view, and that would say no, it's it's all symbolic. It's all it, it's just it's exactly the same. It stays that way. There's nothing magic about the whole process, and it just it's um, it's it's symbolic. It's just it's it's theatre, and it's, it's it's meant to help us remember Jesus. And in between those extreme views, you have all kinds of other uh, views. So, okay, well, there's, there's a common sense, there's a common sense argument to be made that Jesus was speaking figuratively 
when he said, this is my blood, or this is my body. After all, Jesus was standing there at the time. So think about it. Was he saying that this is my flesh and this is my blood here, as well as the blood inside me? Is that what he meant? And remember, this was done as part of a Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal itself was hugely symbolic. So it does make sense, doesn't it, that, that what Jesus added to it would be also symbolic. Now, I said that some believe these change. It's mainly the uh, Roman Catholic Church believes that when uh, the priest says certain words, and I, th I think they used to, it used to ring a bell, don't know if they still do, um, but at, at that point, uh, this becomes Jesus. And following on from that, they therefore decided, well, if that bread's now Jesus, we need to handle it well and, you know, be careful with it. And some of them put, put it in a, in a holder, on a pole, and we'll, we'll march through the church with it. It's to be, it's to be adored. The mass wafer, the mass bread, is to be adored. And if it gets spilt on the floor, you can't just sweep it up. It has to go in a special box. Does that make any sense? Well, in Jewish law, remember, the Mosaic law strictly forbade any consumption of blood. So that's why when the uh, animals were eaten, the blood had to be drained from their bodies before they were eaten. So what would the disciples' reaction be if Jesus was telling them that they were going to consume blood not just any old blood, the blood of their Messiah. They would have been horrified, they would have been saying, no, no, we can't. But they didn't. Because, I suggest, they just realised it was just what it was. It was still bread, it was still wine. This, this is a sign, friends. This, what we're doing, is a sign for those who have the seal of Christ in them, the presence of the Holy Spirit as a seal in them. This is a sign they have the Spirit of Christ in them. And so when we enact this dual uh, sign, consuming these two things, we do it in a spiritual way. I can promise you that when you put down your mouth and you swallow it, or you drink that, there's nothing magical going to happen. You're not taking in Jesus or anything so superstitious like that. So there's another aspect to it. So the third aspect is about commemoration. Commemoration, it's, that's what it is. Remember, the Passover was commemorating the exit from Egypt, the rescue from Egypt. And I'm hoping, well, I'm not hoping, I know, some of those Hebrews will have had an eye to the future, to a Messiah. They would understand that the deliverance, the lamb, the doorpost, the blood, there would be some who would be thinking about the future coming of the Messiah. I thought it was interesting that God's people in, in those days, they, they were required to use animal blood and animal flesh in their rituals, weren't they? All those animal sacrifices. It's interesting that God's people today are asked not to do any of that, but to do this. And what's interesting is that this wine is less like Jesus' blood than the animal blood was. At least the animal blood was blood. This is a move away from it. And so um, we, we don't have a Passover feast with animal flesh, which surely would have been more um, 
symbolic of Jesus' flesh, but no. Instead, we get bread. It, there's been a move away from that. It's as if we're being told again that that's got nothing to do uh, with us. When I say as a commemoration, there's, there's a part of this is about a declaration. We make a declaration. I know some people think that when we do this, it's about private reflection. It's about sitting there quietly and thinking about, you know, you're thinking about Christ, thinking about your own sin, thinking about how he's washed away your sin. And people think it's just a private thing. But there is that, but there's another element to it. There's a declaration involved. Um, it says in um, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, um, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse uh, 26. It says, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim it. I mean, uh, who, who exactly are we proclaiming this to? Well, first of all, we proclaim this to each other. So today, as I take this bread and this wine, I'm making a statement to you. I'm saying I'm taking this because I have faith in Jesus and this is what it represents. So I'm telling you about something. And you taking it tells me something as well. And that encourages me. So there's mutual encouragement there. We are publicly testifying to each other about Jesus and about his great salvation. We've also got, of course, a triune God. We are declaring this to God. We have the Father sitting on his throne in heaven, as it were. And he watches and he is pleased when we obey him and do this thing. And we, we glorify him. The Holy Spirit within us, the one who went and gathered up and is still gathering up all God's people, going into their hearts and saving them. He is an observer. He is pleased. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who this represents, is actually here now. He's here last week. He'll be here next week as well. But we might say that he's present with us and he recognises the, the uniqueness and the, how special this is and so Jesus Christ is here and how he delights to see us remember him and testify to each other it doesn't stop there friends we are declaring this as well to a whole load of angels angels it is said that who exist partly to help us and serve God and also to observe us angels have been observing men for six, seven thousand years and they've been observing you your whole life, watching watching how God works in your life and so we have this host of angels who it, the Bible says they are interested it says in us and they watch in amazement at what we do, we testify to them and of course we in a way we testify to evil spirits as well because they are everywhere they are watching us now and they are furious that we are obeying God and they would like nothing better than to scupper this 
scupper this little thing and ruin it in some way. And so we testify to them that we have no interest in them and their doctrines, that we follow Jesus. And so we testify to each other and to God and to everyone about salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what it is all about. That he came to this earth, that he came in a body. Can you believe it? He came, God, the Son, came in a body. He was incarnate. He came. He lived this life, his perfect life, to show, to show his righteousness. Because everything he did was good. His heart never failed for a moment to be anything but good. He was pure goodness. He was all righteousness. And then it came to it that he said, got arrested, and he said, go on then, do what you have to do. This is your hour. This is your hour. This is where you get to do what you, what you want. And so they took him and they stuck him on a tree in a cruel fashion. And then we had the father. At the very centre of the atonement is the father punishing the son. And this uh, undiluted fury of God poured out on that poor young man's head. But I'll tell you folks, I wouldn't have it any other way. Despite the horror of it, I wouldn't have it any other way. That was the only way out for you and me. And so we are glad, we are glad, um, but also in a way saddened by what happened to Calvary. But friends, the reason he had to do that is because of your addiction and my addiction to sin. We refuse to stop sinning. We, we've sinned before we were Christians. We sin after we were Christians. We sin today and we'll sin tomorrow. And we'll keep sinning until we die. Thank God we don't sin as much as we would had we not had the Holy Spirit. But we do sin. And every single one of those sins was taken on Jesus Christ. Here's a fourth aspect to this meal. It is communion. What's communion mean? It's like uh, fellowship, isn't it? Communion. It's like fellowship. So part of this is about fellowship with God himself. If your Bibles were open at Corinthians and you turn back to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, and this is verses 3 and 4. Speaking about the Hebrews in the Exodus, it says they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. So I say again, <laughs> the Lord God of heaven is with us. The point of this is that we're to think of it that we're gathered around the table together with God at the head. That's what we're doing today. But there's also union with the brethren too. So this symbolises a unity amongst ourselves. And in the same chapter, a bit further on, in verse 16, it says the, the, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, 
We who are many are one body because we all partake of the one bread. You see, that's just a loaf, but it's one loaf. And that's why we use a loaf. That's why we split it up and share the one loaf because it represents Jesus Christ. And we all partake of him. And if we all partake of him, we are connected in a way that is almost beyond understanding. So friends, we have been invited by God to take part in a prestigious dinner. As I said, the menu's not great, I'll be honest. It's Aldi bread and cheap non-alcoholic wine. It's not a great menu. But with a spiritual eye, we make it a feast beyond feasts. We, have, we do have a, um, a precedent for this sort of thing. You know, in the Old Testament, in the 24th chapter of Exodus, there was, uh, there was an example of this. Mo- Moses went up with, with uh, some uh, elders and um, uh, he, w- he went up, uh, I forget how many there was, but he, he went up a mountain and they all had a meal together up the mountain. And it says that they ate with God. They had a meal up the mountain with God. So think about that, that's what we're doing today. And um, I thought I'd mention the, the marriage, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb we hear a lot about, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's call it now the marriage dinner, the marriage feast, the marriage banquet, shall we? It's, it, it, it's often taught that this is an end time thing. So people tend to think that that when we go to glory, after the resurrection, we're all going to sit around a, a huge table and we're going to have this giant banquet, this feast with God. Now, I, I'm positive. My, my view of the world to come uh, allows for us eating and drinking. I, I believe we will eat and we will drink together. But I don't think the marriage feast of the Lamb is to do with that because what are we doing now? Are we not feasting with God now? Surely we've proven from the scriptures that we eat and drink with God now, that he is at the table. It is, a, it is a marriage feast. Are we not already married to him? Right? The marriage feast is not something in the future. The marriage feast is now. And insofar as it represents us being connected with Jesus, it goes on forever. That's what I think it is about. We've looked at these different aspects of, of, of this now. And... It, it, it's quite proper that we talk some, some time about the, um, the conditions for taking it, the conditions for participating in this, it has to be said, that it's restricted. The invitation to take part in this comes with conditions. You must be a believer. It is wrong for you, if you are not a believer, to take it. And I can tell you that before I was a believer, I took part and all my family who were not believers, they all took part every time they went to the, 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 the church. It is for believers. It's for believers with a real credible profession of faith, you know. So it's no use someone coming and saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, but you, um, you, you're constantly in the jail and you've just battered your wife this morning and you take drugs and you're an alcoholic. He goes, yeah, but I'm a Christian. So you see, there has to be a believable profession. You know, there has to be some, what do they, what do you say, change or something? Change life. Change life, yeah. There has to be, there has to be, you know, some evidence. Uh, further than that, we cannot go. 
if you are a respectable person and you tell me you're a Christian, I, I have to believe you are, even if, even, even if you're not. But you, you need to be a believer. You can't be a child. You can't be a two or three or four year old child. You've got to understand, the scriptures say, you have to understand what's going on here. And a little toddler, or maybe someone who's eight, perhaps even, would not be able to understand what's going on. So we need to be cautious if children are wanting to take part in it. We're not to walk, uh, be walking disorderly, I've mentioned. Well, okay, well, this is about you and your conscience now, because I'm not a mind reader. I don't know. Um, you should listen to people who have any sort of spiritual oversight in, in your life. Anyone, in, in, if, if a church has elders or pastors, those people, you should listen to them. Because if they are telling you, look, it's not okay to go to town and get rotten drunk every week. That's not okay for a Christian. Then you need to listen to them. And you need, you need to take advice from that. So do, do take into account what, 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 what people, um, people say. But I can't present to you a, a, a checklist. You can take part if you do this, but you can't take part if you do that. It's about you and your conscience. It's about... It's about, it's a judgment call. And it, a, a clear example might, might be this. Um, sometimes when I'm driving, I, I, um, I get a bit angry, you know, that someone does something wrong on the road. I get a bit of instant, <laughs> quite, quite, um, quite significant rage builds up in a millisecond, you know. And it, okay, it goes, it goes away. And then I, I, I say sorry to God. But you know, there's, there is a difference between that and someone who's going out every weekend getting into fights. There's obviously a difference. So yes, even though I sometimes get road rage, even though I commit other sins, I am going to take part in this today. But it's people who have this obvious, open, consistent sin that they are not making any effort to, to, to go to God with. Those people shouldn't take part. So... We need to just continually repent and, um, yeah, we need to struggle. We need to struggle against temptation. If you're not in a struggle, what is going on? Why aren't you struggling against temptation? So there are conditions. It's just not for any man and his dog, right? So what are the consequences? So just to finish on, we'll just think about what are the consequences? What, uh, what's the consequences if we take part and... We should take part. What's the consequences if we take part and we shouldn't? And we're being disobedient. Well, obviously for us, who are believers and we're in a walk with God, blessings. Blessings. Why? Well, we're blessed because we're being obedient. God blesses people who are obedient. If he says, do this thing, then go and do it. And God says, I will bless those who are obedient. There has to be today, I would recommend that you, you spend some moments um, later uh, in self-examination. So you, it's a time when you can just be honest with yourself in the quietness of your own heart. And, and, and dig up those sins that you, you've had for a while, you don't want to let go. Dig them up. Face them. Get God to deal with them. There is... Um, there is a blessing in the remembrance, isn't there? 
I mean, it's good just to remember Jesus Christ that we talk about him every Sunday. But this is a, this is a special way of thinking about him. So, so that's, that's good. We, we never forget entirely. But refreshing our view of Jesus is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. And so we're to think that just as, just as uh, food and drink, they nourish us, they nourish our body uh, in a natural way, so it is that as we do this, we remember how Jesus nourishes us spiritually. But what about um, what about those people who are, are not uh, in a walk with God? Well, it could be it could be downright unbelief. It could be someone comes to church and they just don't believe. They just like I've been in church where some of the most faithful attenders of church never missed a meeting. We're outright unbelievers, and it, it's just staggering to think. Perhaps they're trying to earn the way to, to glory. Maybe that's it. So, you might have someone those, like I said, walking disorderly, so they, they shouldn't take part. And the consequences for them is not blessing, but curse. Curse. It says here in the First Corinthians again, this is in chapter 11, and verse 27. Uh, so, First Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, "Whosoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord." Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you uh, are weak and ill, and some have even died. It's a clear, the clear implication there is that God, because of the disobedience, because of people who were in a blatantly disorderly walk, were taking part in this, that God was knocking people over left, right and centre. He was making people ill, and he was actually killing people. He was actually bringing their lives to an end because of their disobedience. So, we need to show maturity. Um, I, I was saying to Karen the other day about this phenomenon in churches where many people are, um, many people are reluctant to let this pass by when it, when it comes to them. And I think the reason is this, if, I, if I'm sitting there and I go, no thank you, everyone's going to, you know, people are going to go, oh, what? oh, he didn't take it, I wonder what's going on in his life, I wonder what, I wonder what he's been up to then. And, and just that feeling that people are thinking that way about him will, will, will put some people off and they'll just go, okay, yeah, they don't want to highlight the fact that they're, they're not walking with God, but I'm telling you friends, it's, it's so important and it's a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of spiritual maturity that you can say, uh, no, not, not on this occasion, thanks, just, just a quick like, wave and people will, will bypass you. And that shows maturity, that says, no, I'm going to take this seriously. Now, don't expect people will be taking it one week and not the next week. I'm expecting this, will, you know, they, they will go to God and say, Lord, forgive my sin, I know my acceptance is really in Jesus Christ. But Lord, I want my walk to reflect 
my heart. So don't be, please don't be frightened. Be mature about it. So this is why we have a gap in the meeting to allow people to, to go, and, and that is absolutely fine. It shows you thinking, doesn't it? It shows you thinking about it. So just to, just to wind this up then, uh, in conclusion, I just want to make these points. So firstly, we said that we said that this was rooted in the idea of a covenant, and the gospel is called a new covenant. It's a new arrangement whereby, uh, not through words, but through faith in Jesus, we get salvation. We've also seen that this here today is an essential part of Christian life and worship. It's essential. It is in many churches, I've found, um, viewed as not very important. This is at the very core of what we do alongside the preaching of the gospel. This is, this is at the core of it. We've said that this remains bread and wine. There'll be no words of consecration institution or any other, uh, anything like that. There's just, it's just going to stay exactly the same. We said it's partly about remembrance. Remembering Jesus and what he's done for his people. We talked about it being a, a, about a connection. A connection with each other and with all of us and, and God. We then said that it was only for people who were who belong to God and are in a walk with God. And the result of taking us today could be either blessing or curse. And so I want to encourage you, friends, that if you've had in the past, as I have, a slightly low view of this thing, something that's not very interesting, nothing much happens, it's not very interesting. I, I'd encourage you to change that view. I want you to have, friends, a high view, a high view of this occasion where later we sit down at a table with God himself and we share a meal with him for his glory.